This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Got excited for that music. It's all frisky, jokey. Oh, hello, and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on Monday, April 26th of 2021. I'm Paul Gallant, and this is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, in Washington, nay, the world. And also, you're home of the Seattle Mariners. And how about those Seattle Mariners who, over the weekend, were able to split a four-game set with the most wins in the American League, Boston Red Sox. They have 14 now. And it was closer than perhaps a split of the series. If you take a look at maybe a couple of first innings that go a little bit differently, specifically Sunday or maybe on Friday, we could be talking about the Mariners having won three of four. I think this series was a success. And by the way, any Mariners split series against a plus 500 team is a success. And if you think otherwise, I mean, I think you're just one of those people like Robert and Kirkland who you're just mad at the Mariners for their entirety for the entirety of their history. You saw great performances from bats this weekend. And I was very encouraged to see one of what we traditionally see out of Kyle Seeger, a game where he, after not hitting a whole lot, decides to go, all right, I'm just going to get a bunch of hits in this one. Here is a triple that he hit on Saturday. And the pitch to Seager swung on and a fly ball into center field and deep going back into the corner, going back. Verdugo still going back, and this one is off the base of the wall at 420. One run will score is Haggerty. France around to third, and France comes in to score as well. Kyle Seager in at third base with a triple into the triangle. Two runs are in, and the Mariners have a 3-0 lead, and already what an afternoon for Seager with three runs batted in, one in the first and two here in the second. He wasn't quite able to get the cycle, but he did have the single, the double, and the triple, which you just heard, and the Mariners, over a four-game series, put together their best consecutive games of offensive output that we've seen. That's great to see. Starting pitching, eh, eh. That's really all you got this weekend Chris Flexen was flexing on Saturday (laughs) nice but other than that eh, not the best performances from the starting pitching but there is a big I think positive that you can take away and I have been resistant to fall hook line and sinker for this because they were so bad last year but the Mariners bullpen deserves a hearty round of golf claps good job guys I mean, you're going up against the best offense in baseball, period. Best batting average, 279. Best OPS. A lineup that features hitters like J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts, among others. Rafael Devers, who's got some pop. And they come in, and over 16 innings pitched, they did what they needed to do. Walk just three, continue to have really good control of the strike zone. Ten hits, three earned runs, good for a 1.69 ERA over the weekend. It would be nice to see more strikeouts from this unit, but the Mariners' bullpen is a surprise that I think is here to stay. And while they are not a great unit, they are definitely a good unit, and I think they're going to help this team be a little bit closer to actual competitiveness than last year. This is the Paul Galan Show, the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay, the world. It is draft week, but last Friday 
we saw a big-time trade in the NFL, and this was right after we went off the air. The Kansas City Chiefs have been extremely aggressive this offseason, and they decided that they were going to trade all of the draft picks so that they could get Ravens tackle Orlando Brown. A first, a third, a fourth, and a 2022 fifth for Brown, a second-round pick this year's draft, and a sixth-round pick. And it's leading me to a question that I want you guys to answer on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, Washington, nay, the world, 710-710 on the text line or at Galan says on Twitter. The Chiefs traded a lot to get Orlando Brown, a left tackle, and we've heard a lot of conversation about what Russell Wilson wanted this offseason. He gets Gabe Jackson on the offensive line. The Chiefs decided after a rough performance for Patrick Mahomes against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where he was running for his life the whole game to blow up their entire offensive line sign a Joe Tooney, but also trade a lot to get Orlando Brown. The Seahawks last offseason made a also desperate-seeming trade. They got Jamal Adams for two first-round picks and a third-round pick. So put yourself in the shoes of John Schneider before both trades. Which of these two trades would you have made? And with the benefit of hindsight and with what we have seen out of Jamal Adams this past season, I think there are a lot of people out there that would say, you know what, I'd take Jamal Adams in a heartbeat. This defense needed a playmaker, and he has given them the playmaker that they need for the next couple of years, assuming that they re-sign him to an extension. But honestly, I remember where I was when the Seahawks made that trade, and I thought to myself, this is crazy. Two first-round picks and a third for a safety that has barely any interceptions over the course of his career? We learned he's a different kind of player, but I remember in that moment thinking that way. I do like the trade from the perspective of you found yourself a better player than you would have with those two first-round picks that you got. But just think about what those two first-round picks could have been and that third-round pick could have been, knowing the way that John Schneider operates. That could have been four or five players. Would four or five players potentially be better than one impactful safety but a guy who's really only impactful towards the line of scrimmage? Maybe. If I have to compare these two trades objectively with no benefit of hindsight, the trade that I would have made is the one that the Kansas City Chiefs made for Orlando Brown. And they traded a lot to get him. And they completely overhauled their offensive line this offseason. What would you have done? Russell Wilson, we know, wants to have a better offensive line. And yes, Dwayne Brown is there at left tackle. Dwayne Brown's also 36 years old. And you know that he fought through some really difficult knee injuries just to play in the playoffs last year. But how much longer is he going to be on the Seahawks? Another reason to look at the Orlando Brown trade a little bit differently. And I guess the, the other question, is a good safety, excuse me, is a great safety better than a good left tackle? Because that's what we are assuming Orlando Brown is. So let's see what you've got to say. 710-710 is the text line. You can also tweet me. At Galan says, a tweet that was just sent in to me, at Galan says. With Dwayne Brown on the roster, says Houseplant Farm, I'm still doing the Adams trade. Another tweet, I love Adams, but Russ loves, just loves to hold the football for six seconds every other snap. So we would need the offensive line shored up with Hall of Famers to keep Russ upright, unfortunately. Is Gabe Jackson going to provide that much of a difference this year on the offensive line? I think we all want to say yes, but you all should be a little bit more skeptical about that. It's a fifth-round pick that they gave up for a veteran. They upgraded at left guard. How much is an upgrade at left guard going to impact the entirety of their offensive line, the amount of times that Russell Wilson gets hit. 
And honestly, you know what? There's a point to be made that maybe if you make the trade for Orlando Brown, much like what you see, much like what you see with the Houston Texans, who traded two first round picks to get Laramie Tunsil, and now we're going to be without the third overall pick in this year's draft. That's what the 49ers are going to be using to pick whatever quarterback. We'll see eventually on Thursday. That trade has not helped out Houston very much. And most people would agree that Laramie Tunsil, at the very least, is a good, good player. So what would you do there? Would you trade for Orlando Brown or would you trade for Jamal Adams in that spot? 710-710 is how you answer at Galan says on Twitter. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay the world. In about five minutes, we will welcome you aboard by phone, too. But right now, it's time for What's Trending with Maura Dooley, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air. Maura, what's going on? Hey. Um, you know, just, uh... You are, doing, you are doing so much work behind the glass <laughs> that people don't understand. Now, sometimes in the, in the world of radio, it sounds as if everything on the air is, is, is going great. And then in the, behind the scenes, you have a person that is basically like pulling like duct tape and, and rubber bands and keeping everything together. And more, you've been doing a fantastic job with that this well, morning. Well, I didn't keep it sounding that way because we didn't have the right open for your show. But we're... It's not your fault. We're all right. Blame it on everybody else, like your Russell <laughs> yeah. Wilson blaming it on the offensive line. Oh, Paul. Well, I mean, that's what he did. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. All right. Well, first up, we'll uh, talk a little Mariners. Uh, Nick Margavich's, right? I'm so that's intimidated by that name that, yes, I'm just going to say Please, yes. that's it. <laughs> Nick uh, Margavich's. Left his start against the Red Sox yesterday in the first inning after giving up four walks. Here is the skipper Scott service on what happened there. Yeah, it's uh, not the way we were hoping to get that one started today. Certainly, uh, you know, one of those games, Marge just uh, didn't have a whole lot. And just an update on him. Uh, yeah, he after getting looked at a doctor here, there, there's some shoulder fatigue going on, and he's going to get an MRI, you know, over in Houston tomorrow. So uh, uh, he certainly didn't have it right out of the shoot. We'll see what happens with that MRI. Honestly, with LJ Newsom, I'm not. Excited. There's only one name that would excite any of us if he were to be inserted into the six-man rotation right now. It's Logan Gilbert. They're not bringing up Logan Gilbert right now, which is a bummer, but you do want the Mariners to stay true to their process, and this is the interesting thing that happens when you start off the way that you do. How much stock do you put into your April? The Mariners learned the hard way that you can't put too much stock into your April just a couple of years ago, and I'm assuming that they are looking at this right now, and they're like, this is great, and it's more sustainable-seeming than it was a couple of years ago. But let's not force anything into the majors right now before they've gotten some time in the minors. We'll see if the minor league season is going to start in about a week or so. That's what at least we were told at the beginning of the year. I have my doubts about that, but I am hopeful. I am optimistic. I am the king of wishful thinking. That's what I always think of when I think of you. It's a great song. Go West. Very depressing one, though. I mean, he's basically like singing in a really positive way, like, yeah, like, my life's over and I'm never going to get over you. So, but I'll, I'll just smile along the way and act like it's okay. <laughs> cool. You didn't need to I share that I with us. I never really listened to the lyrics to that song that closely. At least that's my interpretation of the song. Perhaps other 80s music enthusiasts can tell me otherwise. Yeah. Well, doesn't he say I'll get over it? I know I will. I'll get over you. I know I will because I'm the king of wishful thinking. But, I mean, he's having a hard time. And it's wishful thinking, you know? (laughs) He's, like, actually not being honest with himself there. All right. Anyways. (laughs) 
Uh, we'll go to the NFL now. Uh, reports are that it's down to Mac Jones and Trey Lance for the 49ers. People are saying that they're out on Justin Fields, but who knows? Um, here is Diana Rossini of ESPN with what she's hearing latest. John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, they know exactly who they're going for. In fact, I was told it's never really wavered. I keep going through my notes, and it just it, it all makes sense that that Mac Jones is oh. their guy. Knowing how much Kyle appreciates a quarterback who's strong in the pocket, he he wants an accurate quarterback, and, and you know I'm always going to point to the intellect of Mac Jones, and that goes back to his pro day when I was just talking to some scouts after it, and they said forget, don't even worry about watching him on film if you really want to understand why. Kyle probably loves his kid. It's when you do the work and talk to his teammates. You talk to, obviously, players and, and, and coaches who've been around him. And he's just, he's able to process, you know? He, he, he can go out there now and start if they really needed him to. I want to talk to whoever told Diana Russini that you don't need to watch the film. Because that's a pretty important part of all of this. We hear every offseason from coaches, from general managers about how a young player is picking up an offense at an unprecedented pace. And I would imagine that if the 49ers were to draft Mac Jones, you would hear the exact same thing. We've heard that about guys like Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, we've heard so many quarterbacks that supposedly have a grasp of the offense. If you can't do it on the field, then I don't know what to tell you. And yes, Mac Jones... Congratulations for the season that he put together at Alabama with all the uncertainty and all that. He was throwing to Devontae Smith. He's throwing to guys who are so wide open. I think this is going to be a real uphill battle for him getting into the NFL. And while you could say, well, what about those guys who are playing at smaller colleges like a Zach Wilson or a Trey Lance or something like that? And I would say, well, those guys have a lot of obstacles against them that Give him a little bit of extra metal. And honestly, Trey Lance played at the one double A level at a juggernaut. So it's really, really the guy that you're thinking about here in this situation is Zach Wilson. There is something to be said for film. And you can't just dismiss it with Mac Jones. Because Mac Jones, from a picture perspective, sorry to bod shame again. Not not seeing a whole lot there. And if you're saying ignore the film, oh wow, he just listens to the coach. That's not what you trade up to number three for. For a guy who listens to the coach. You trade for a transcendent talent when you give up that much. And if they go with Mac Jones, I do think that they would be making a mistake. Good, that. right? One more time? Good, right? Make yes. A yes, please. Please take Mac Jones. But at the same time, it would be a mistake to take Mac Jones. Football objective person myself. Uh, the football objective side of me does not want to see Mac Jones taken at number three. You should change your LinkedIn today. Football objective person. Football objective person. <laughs> Except for when it comes to, and then insert list of teams that I dislike. That is more Dooley Behind the Glass, everybody. What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air. And by the way, did you know you can listen to 710 ESPN Seattle on your smart speaker? Now you do. Just play 710 ESPN Seattle. This hour of the Paul Galan Show is brought to you by advanced hair restoration and we are the most interactive sports talk show in seattle in washington day the world so a hypothetical that might involve a little time travel for you the seahawks gave up a lot to acquire jamal adams who is a safety the chiefs traded a lot to get orlando brown a left tackle put yourself in the shoes of john snyder before both trades before which trade would you have made 710 710s how you text 206-421-3776 is how you call at Galant says is how you tweet. It's time for you to be heard. 
your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. One person texts in Orlando Brown with a question mark. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to think about Orlando Brown. And when I see that text, that's a reminder that he's not necessarily the best left tackle in the NFL. You know, this is or even trending towards that. This is a guy that Baltimore sees fit to move on from. And considering the guy that they have under center, their quarterback of the now, that they would be willing to move on from somebody who is a plus offensive lineman is, is noteworthy. Now, Ronnie Stanley has, I think, been essentially slant, put into that left tackle spot. But I, I, I do think that you have to keep that in mind. I don't know that this is a great tackle. It's a good tackle. Jamal Adams gave you great production in the second half of this past season. But is Jamal Adams going to be able to do that when the Seahawks play tougher quarterbacks in 2021? I don't know. I really don't. I mean, honestly, they played against a bunch of ham sandwiches down the stretch last year when the defense got better. I mean, you know, woo-hoo-hoo, Jared Goff, that's the toughest quarterback that you went up against. Unless you want to say Kyler Murray with one shoulder was the other guy. Like that he was better than Jared Goff. Uh, don't discredit John Wolford before he got hurt. Oh, yeah. In that game. That's, that's true, Maura Dooley. <laughs> Old Wolfie. Uh, Colt McCoy, they lost to him so uh, we're just going to move on past that but if I had to make this decision with no benefit of hindsight I would have made the trade for the tackle instead of the trade for the safety and and I wonder if this is going to work out for Kansas City I, I do give Kansas City the benefit of the doubt they have a really good track record when it comes to just cleaning the slate they purged their defense I've been listening to this podcast. It's an old podcast by Dan Carlin, um, for those who don't know. Great history podcast. And it's talking about the war on the Eastern Front between Germany and Russia. And over the podcast, he just talks about all the times that the Russians just decided to get rid of their officers in positions of leadership so that they could, because they weren't getting the job done. The problem is, those guys were not ever able to be essentially re- replaced in a good way. Kansas City, they found a way to make their defense, which was awful, awful in 2018, better. They trade for Flint Clark. They bring in Tyron Matthew. Now, is it a great defense? No, but it is a plus defense. And they were able to do that after firing an entire coaching staff and basically getting rid of the majority of their starters in one offseason. Now they're doing it again with the offensive line. I mean, this is an entirely new offensive line. They bring in Austin Blythe at center. They lure Kyle Long out of retirement at guard. They bring Joe Tooney in from the New England Patriots at the other guard position. At left tackle, it's going to be Orlando Brown. And Laurent Duvernay-Tardif is going back at right tackle after opting out last year. And we'll see how that works. Honestly, I feel like it will work out for Patrick Mahomes because I think Patrick Mahomes is better than Russell Wilson when it comes to avoiding sacks at this phase in his career. And, I mean, honestly, that's just a natural thing that happens. Russell Wilson is in his 30s. Patrick Mahomes is still young, and I think he is getting better at avoiding sacks. Text in 710-710. The answer to this question. Give it to me, baby. The Seahawks gave up a lot to acquire Jamal Adams, the safety. The Chiefs traded a lot to get Orlando Brown, a left tackle. Which trade would you have made? 
One texter says, I, I'll pretend my ship's not sinking, singing along to Go West. I like that. Jamal Adams all day. He is an elite safety in the league. The tackle is not elite, plain and simple. We're going to see how elite he is this year. And it's not me doubting him. This is me just wondering, okay, well, what kind of an impact is Jamal Adams going to have when they play against a better schedule? And to just take a look at who the Seahawks are going up against this year, I would assume, at the very least for San Francisco, that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be under center for both games. Matt Stafford, I think, marginally, is better than Jared Goff. Trevor Lawrence is going to be the quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I do think it stands to reason that whoever is under center for the New Orleans Saints this year will be better than Drew Brees and the pop gun arm that he had at the end of the year. Ryan Tannehill's in Tennessee. You got Kyler Murray already in the division, too. I mean, of all your home games next year, the ones that I'm looking at are Jared Goff, who, by the way, beat you because he's on the Lions now. And then I guess whoever the Bears have under center. Your road games, you might play Deshaun Watson if he's back. Kirk Cousins. Not easy. Carson Wentz, I do think he's going to bounce back this year. And Aaron Rodgers, it's a tough schedule. And Ben Roethlisberger, but I think Ben Roethlisberger is essentially at the Drew Brees phase of his career. I, I do wonder what kind of impact Jamal Adams is going to have. So keep on answering, 710-710. We will continue to read your texts, to read your tweets. You can also call in 206-421-3776. A different version of the sports pit. Brock Heward weighed in on the Jamal Adams trade versus the Kansas City Chiefs trade earlier this morning. Plus, is the Seahawks' pass rush as good as we think leading into the draft, which, of course, kicks off Thursday in Cleveland? I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay, the world, on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's 1030. And that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, man, if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going to fail. With Paul Gallant. The Seahawks gave up a lot to acquire Jamal Adams. The Chiefs gave up a lot to get Orlando Brown. A safety and a left tackle. Put yourself in the shoes of John Schneider before both trades. Which trade would you have made? Most people are saying Jamal Adams, and I understand that because he's on your team. But go back in time, and if you were looking at this trade before Jamal Adams was aboard. What did you think when you first saw it? Two first-round picks and a third-round pick for a safety. That's a lot, even if the guy's been an all-pro before. That is a lot to give up. And now you got to wonder, okay, well, not only did I give up this much to get him, I am going to have to give him a big contract extension. Some texts, 710-710. Don't forget, Jamal Adams had injuries last year. Imagine a fully healthy season of Jamal. I think that's true. Another texter, Jamal Adams all day. He's a proven all-pro. Orlando Brown, an unknown at left tackle. Another texter says Jamal Adams still have Dwayne Brown. Let's tackle those one by one. The injuries that Jamal Adams had last year really affected him in that game against the Rams in the playoffs. To the point where there were individual moments that I wonder if they would have been different had Jamal Adams been healthy. A play on the right sideline where he jumped the route, he wasn't able to get his arm up. He had a torn labrum. A pass downfield to Cooper Cup where he wasn't able to get in position to knock away. It was a moon ball, essentially. And then there was a couple of tackles, too, that 
he could have missed. I thought he played admirably considering he was playing with the shoulder injury that he did play with. But this is, again, against the Rams team that <sighs> offensively was not anything that should have really challenged you that much in the second half of last year. And, I mean, it really didn't after that first half in L.A. where Seattle had some real issues stopping them. But in the second half, that's when the defense started to make the turnaround that they did down the stretch last year. One texter says uh, to the text about um, Brown, the unknown at left tackle. That is, that is, I think, a fair point. You know what Adams is. You knew what Adams was. With Brown, as another texter brings up, he's a right tackle with Baltimore. He wants to play left tackle. And because he wants to play left tackle, he requested a trade. He wants to play the same positions dad played. So Baltimore had to trade him to get that much is amazing. Well, I mean, to get what the Jets got for Jamal Adams, that's also amazing because he didn't want to be there. I don't know if he would have sat out games, but two first-round picks and a third-round pick for a guy who wanted out and who was taking shots sometimes publicly, sometimes subtly against his then-employer. I mean, that's a much bigger haul, but maybe it's because it's for a more proven player. Another texter says, Adam, still have Dwayne Brown. This is this is what complicates it a little bit as we try to answer this question. What trade would you make if you put yourself in John Schneider's shoes but, and you have both of these options available to you? Because obviously the Seahawks couldn't make this trade this offseason because of what they gave up for Jamal Adams. You still have Dwayne Brown, but for how much longer? And it's not often that tackles are just available. I mean, you don't get Dwayne Brown without a really drawn-out contract dispute between Dwayne Brown and the Houston Texans. And on top of that, to essentially end the relationship at that moment in time, I remembered. We had a press conference when I was in Houston for Dwayne Brown after the game against the Seahawks, and a couple of minutes later, the guys traded. You don't get that trade without just some really weird circumstances that made him available to you. Otherwise, that next left tackle that you have implicit trust in, it's going to be a waiting game. To find that guy again, especially if you're a contending team. And, of course, you don't have a first-round pick in next year's draft either. The best way to find a future left tackle or a left tackle for now is in the first round, ideally towards the top of it. That's why you see these guys often in top 10, top 5, sometimes first overall picks. doesn't necessarily work out, but that's why those guys get taken so high. If you look at a tackle like Orlando Brown... Certainly not 100% proven, but at the same time, he's a tackle, and he's available, and the Ravens were willing to deal him. That doesn't happen very often, and that's why I think it makes it a little bit more of a difficult answer on that front. Akalon says on Twitter, 710-710 is how you text in. Text in, it'll be better now that we have Marquise Blair back, barring any injuries. Good downfield coverage of Jamal Adams is down in the box. Marquise Blair is unproven to me. So... While there was a lot of hype about him this offseason, and he did have the forced fumble against the Falcons, let's let's relax and, and see what Blair can do over the course of an entire season. Remember, that, that defense, while he was on the field, wasn't good. I mean, they're getting carved up by pretty much every single 
offense that they went up against in the first couple of seasons. Text in, you don't necessarily need individual star offensive lineman talent to win it all. You just need a functioning, cohesive unit that can manage what's coming at them. So he goes with Jamal Adams all the way. So we'll continue to take your answers on this. 710-710 is how you text. You can tweet. Akalant says, here is what Brock Heward had to say on the matter this morning when he joined Danny O'Neill and I on Danny and Gallant for Blue 42. Gosh, I was, I was reading somebody, I think, over the weekend that was talking about Dwayne Brown. And just we better really appreciate, you know, this, uh, this upcoming season and really appreciate what he did for the last few years uh, where he has just locked that position down. Not quite Walter Jones-esque, but you know, we remember the void that was left in Walter's absence and how difficult it was to, to watch turnstile at left tackle. I think the challenge there is you've got to, well, a little bit like Jamal, um, but, but maybe even more expensive. you got to say, okay, you know, is this, is this the route that we want to go down, and are we committed to giving that player, who already is an incredibly large man, who fights his size and fights his weight? And we saw this with Trent Brown, who left New England and got a big deal in Oakland and, and added another 30 or 40 pounds and, and was just uh, not, not a good move for Mr. Mayock and Mr. Gruden. Are you willing to then pay, not just that trade, right? Are you then willing to pay that guy what he wants, which is going to be, you know, $18 million, $20 million a year to be the left tackle? That's tricky. And it doesn't always work out when you transition this person from one organization to the next. I would say in recent history at the tackle position, you've taken a look at guys who have left New England who haven't worked out. Nate Solder goes to the Giants. I mean, I think he just took a pay cut. Trent Brown leaves the Patriots, goes to the Raiders, as Brock Hewer just said. Now he's back on the Patriots. That was a failure by the Raiders. So these are the things that can happen when you trade for a tackle. Right now, you do know that Jamal Adams is good. I do think, though, that if you go back in time, I think there's a little bit more uncertainty about whether or not Adams was going to be able to come in here and have the kind of impact that he did. A lot of it, I think, had to do with the noise coming out of New York, butthurt noise, in my opinion, about the idea of, oh, well, he, he didn't want to be here, so clearly this is a guy who, you know, he's, he just, just can't handle New York, and, man, he wasn't that good to begin with. The way that Jets fans have been spinning the Jamal Adams uh, saga, and specifically his time in New York as if he never did anything of value, that, to me, is really noteworthy. And I definitely think that it put a little bit of a... Of a skeptical um it made me skeptical about adams but then uh, over time i and watching him play i sort of came to realize oh they're just bitter and they're just looking for anything that they possibly can to say that they won that trade okay i mean good luck with good luck with the second pick that you have in this year's draft honestly good luck with the first pick that you have in this year's draft zach wilson really thrilled about that one all right new york jets 710 710 is how you text in. Oh, Paul, how proven is the right tackle play on the left side? Well, again, we'll, we will see. I, I I generally trust Kansas City. Blair was a monster until he broke his leg. I, I don't I don't know that I buy that he was a monster. Over a what game and a half before he got hurt. He was a hard hitter. That's what everyone likes about him. Yeah, and I liked it too. I like Marquise Blair a lot. That's not me doubting him, but they moved him essentially from safety to nickelback. Just think about what a dramatic transition that is. And while, I mean, he looked good when I watched him at practices, and he looked awesome in the second scrimmage I saw where the poor uh, uh, Anthony Gordon 
ex-quarterback from Washington State, our beloved Cougs, which is, oh boy, he was awful in that game. And Marquise Blair was making play after play after play, but okay, well, you know, he's coming off of a torn ACL, and he's playing in a very difficult position, and it's a position that he doesn't have a whole lot of experience at. So I, I don't think you can make any assumptions about that. Speaking of assumptions, there seems to be, among some, an assumption that the Seahawks pass rush, just given the way that last year finished, is going to be a very good unit. And I think that warrants a little skepticism. And here is some of that, courtesy of the Around the NFL podcast's Greg Rosenthal. Seahawks fans are strangely excited about this defensive line. Uh, it, it's Puna Ford. Um, it's LJ Collier, their first-round pick, who's been okay. Not really great. But then you got Dunlop. You got Alton Robinson, who's shown some things. You have a second-round pick. Taylor, who didn't do anything last year, Daryl Taylor, Benson, Mayoa, and then you add Smith to this. Like, Seahawks fans, don't tell them that this isn't one of the highest potential defensive lines in the league, which I, I don't quite get. It's, it's like a lot of people, definitely, and he's one of them. <laughs> I don't know if I'm buying it. I love that snarky laugh at the end. There needs to be a little bit of skepticism about just how good this defensive line can be, and I think the defense next year for the Seahawks is the biggest question, period, because I don't know of last year – and the progress that they made down the stretch, how much stock I can put into it. I'd like to think I could put a lot of stock into it, but, I mean, this is, this is essentially the finished product. Maybe they get somebody in the second round that can help them defensively. I think we all, though, would, if we had to put money on what happens next in the draft, it's that John Schneider's going to trade back, and he's going to get more picks, and more picks, and more picks, and more picks. And I don't think that they're going to find an immediate impact player. So I, I wonder about that pass rush. I mean, Carlos Dunlap, I like. Benson Mayoa, nice complimentary piece. Are any of those guys, though, going to step up and be anything more than above-average rotational pieces? Because that's essentially what you have. And it's not bad to have that. It's not like a bad defensive line by any means. It's just a matter of, is an above-average horde going to give you what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got? in the playoffs last year because the Bucs won the Super Bowl because of their defensive line. It's Danny. Excuse me. It's not Danny Gallant. It's the Paul Gallant show. There's no Danny, but he's in my head because of that Dr. Seuss rhyming that he did at the end of the last show. <laughs> Up next, we'll continue to take your comments on that. 710-710 is how you text in. You can also tweet me at Gallant says facebook.com slash Paul Gallant sports. There is a text that I need to address. That has to do with, I guess, just the way that I'm looking at this defense. And I, I find it quite amusing. I like texts like this. Essentially, if you get insults, you get to the front of the line on this. On the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle and Washington, nay the world, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle. It's finally happening. This has been a really long offseason for the Seattle Seahawks, and I think most of it has to do with the quiet. Because you haven't heard much from Russell Wilson specifically outside of the interview that he did on the Dan Patrick Show and his interview with a gaggle of reporters after the Walter Payton Man of the Year awards ceremony. 
we haven't heard a lot from Pete Carroll. In fact, we've heard nothing from Pete Carroll. We haven't heard a lot from John Schneider. In fact, we've heard nothing from John Schneider. Essentially, all this offseason that we have heard are leaks coming out of Russell Wilson's court. Specifically, I would imagine Mark Rogers through various media personalities, ranging from Brandon Marshall on Fox Sports 1 to Colin Cowherd, among many, many others. We're finally going to hear from Pete Carroll and John Schneider Wednesday at noon. Oh, my goodness gracious. It's about time. And I got to say, credit to them, because the way that they played this, this offseason, it worked. It feels like everything is all hunky-dory between the Russell Wilson court and the Seattle Seahawks. Everything's back on the same page. At least, you know, outwardly. The optics are better. But he's they are going to get asked a lot. I would imagine a lot of questions about just the entirety of this offseason. Their relationship with Russell Wilson, if they felt pressed to add to the offensive line. And those are the questions that I would ask at that noon press conference on Wednesday. First off, have you spoken with Russell Wilson? That's an easy one that they can probably dodge. Are you guys on the same page as far as what you want out of a championship team? Did you feel pressure to go after an offensive lineman like Gabe Jackson because of the noise that you were hearing? Do you still feel pressure to find ways to make sure that Russell Wilson sticks around? And I would imagine that both Pete Carroll and John Schneider would say, we want to have Russell Wilson around long-term. And why wouldn't they, even with all of the annoyances, of this offseason, and I'm in the same boat. I mean, I just found some of the ways that he went about things this offseason tiresome, but I still want him here. I think everyone should want him here. You're not going to do better at quarterback. At least you're unlikely to, extremely unlikely to. So I'm very curious as to what answers we actually get out of them. Pete Carroll's answers will probably be optimistic. I do think John Schneider is good enough at talking around the difficult questions as well. Another question I would want to ask, Alden Smith, why the risk? And obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it is interesting that given that the Seahawks said, I think back, and Matt Calkins has a piece about this in the Seattle Times, back in 2012, I think it was John Schneider who said that when it comes to domestic violence, they don't tolerate it, but they have brought players in who at the very least had allegations against them, whether it's Jaron Reed or Frank Clark or a couple other players who off the top of my head I don't remember. Obviously, we saw this past offseason with Chad Wheeler, who was not on the team anymore, and now Alden Smith is the most recent. And I I think as Calkins closed out his column, sometimes talent does trump the moral side of things and the looking rosy and sunshiny and having the best possible PR for yourself. But those are questions that I would like to see answered. 710-710, questions that you want to have asked to both of those two as they do, I guess, their state of the year, state of the Seahawks, going into the NFL draft on Wednesday. Some texts, 710-710. Here's one that I really wanted to get to. For God's sake, stop being so negative, depressing, complaining. Focus on what's good and how to replace a couple positions. I've tried to listen to you, but you need Danny to rein you in. Probably. It's probably true. Missed where you said you were the king of wishful thinking. This is true. 
I was very optimistic <laughs> for that brief moment in time, Maura Dooley, behind the glass. Okay, so here's the thing about covering a... My microphone's not cooperating. Here's the thing about covering a team that is good and is consistently good, but has had better years. Your expectations are higher. Your expectations should be higher. Whatever you guys think is complaining, to me, I call it constructive criticism. Or not necessarily complaints as much as just raising obvious objections. Focus on what's good. Well, there are good things on this team. Russell Wilson is back in the fold, it seems. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are arguably the best one-two tandem of wide receivers in the NFL. Jamal Adams is coming off of a pretty special season. I mean, he almost had 10 sacks as a safety. Carlos Dunlap is back in the mix. There are some good things, no doubt about it. But how many more good things are we going to be talking about by the end of this offseason? And that's the tricky part because the Seahawks have as few draft picks as they have. And that's because they swung as hard as they could to get Jamal Adams. And that's a safety. It's not a left tackle. And I, I do wonder about their ability to restock the left tackle position after this season. Uh, other text here, seven ten seven ten. This is just a random question. Would you trade your second round pick for Julio Jones? He's up for grabs. Now, I don't know cap-wise how the Seahawks would make that work. I think it would make it very difficult for them to bring back K.J. Wright, who's still hovering around. But honestly, with all the moves that have been made this offseason that seem to show that the salary cap isn't actually a real thing, I would definitely think about it. Because I'm of the belief that, okay, you're all in on 2021. You don't have a lot of draft picks. A second-round pick might help you down the road. Or a second-round pick could turn into a couple of third-round picks, a couple of fourth-round picks or something like that, and you end up being able to restock the roster with more affordable team contracts under team control over the next couple of seasons. And I think there's a point to be made that this season was weird. There's no true NFL combine, and some teams weren't even playing close to full schedules. There were opt-outs, et cetera, et cetera. But I I look at these draft picks, and, and I feel... Maybe you should be looking at what you can do to improve yourself now, even if it means we're talking about a rental. So I would at the very least think about a second-round pick for Julio Jones. But honestly, given that the Falcons are paying him as much as they are, given his injury history over the last couple of seasons, specifically last year, and that cap figure, I don't think you would have to trade a second-round pick to get him. I think the Falcons are going to be disappointed in what they ultimately get for Julio Jones if they do end up trading him. And I don't think that they would necessarily even get as much as DeAndre Hopkins was acquired for. And by the way, that was not a whole lot at all. Thanks you. I can't speak English. Thank you so much for tuning in on this Monday. Big thanks to Maura Dooley, who held this thing together in admirable, nay, stupendous form. I am merely Paul Gallant. Thank you to the texters, the tweeters as well. So long. Farewell. Jake and Stacy are next. Have yourself a wonderful Monday.